It's time for America Outdoors Radio, the show that covers the outdoor scene across the U.S. of A. and the entire continent. Fishing, hunting, conservation, outdoor recreation, and great destinations, we cover it all every week. It's your country, your outdoors. Let's explore it together with your host, John Cruz. It's the last weekend before the holiday season officially launches. Now, a whole bunch of stores have had Christmas decor for sale since Halloween, but for all of us who are traditionalists, things start off with Thanksgiving, followed by the madness of Black Friday, then Hanukkah, then of course Christmas, Kwanzaa, and New Year's Day. This week on the show, we'll be talking a bit about Thanksgiving when we check in with Brooks Hansen. He's our man at Camp Chef, and he's got some great tips coming your way to help you cook up the perfect turkey, whether it be a domestic butterball or a wild bird, for your holidays this year. Another guest we'll chat with today is Mark Taylor. He's the Eastern Communications Director for Trout Unlimited, and they were offering free annual memberships on Veterans Day for veterans and first responders. That offer is no longer on the table, but Trout Unlimited does have some year-round great programs for these folks, and if you're one of them, I think you'll want to hear about what TU has to offer, which is a whole lot more than just a membership in this Cold Water Fisheries Conservation Group. We're talking about all sorts of activities for veterans and first responders to enjoy that are taking place all over the country. Speaking of cold water, we are entering what I consider to be the toughest time of year to catch a bass. That's why I reached out to Glenn May. He's the man behind BassResource.com, a fantastic website offering a forum, articles, and lots of how-to videos through their YouTube channel. Glenn has all sorts of great advice to help you reel in some bass this winter, and I'll give you a preview of what he's going to tell you. Be patient and slow down. Last, and certainly not least, we'll head to Northern California's Bay Area for a conversation with Rue Mapp. She founded an organization called Outdoor Afro back in 2009 and has a brand new book out, Nature Swagger, featuring black men and women enjoying fishing, hunting, hiking, and time outdoors. If we are serious about recruiting and retaining new hunters and anglers, We need to encourage people from all races and walks of life, especially those who live in urban environments, to get out into nature and by doing so, learn to appreciate it and protect it. I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation. But before we talk to Rue, Glenn, and Mark, let's talk turkey. It's time to chat with our first guest of the show and for catching up with Brooks Hansen with Camp Chef, who is in the great state of Montana where he has been chasing elk and deer. Brooks, welcome to the show. How'd the hunt go? Been going pretty good, John. (laughs) It's always a challenge hunting late season elk, but it's uh, a lot of fun hunting rutting whitetail deer. So it's been a good week. Did you tag out? We've been successful on the, the whitetail deer, unsuccessful so far on the elk, just trying to get a good pattern with uh, the weather and snow and getting them on the the right place at the right time has been a little challenging, but we're having a good time and seeing lots of elk, which is good. There you go. Well, here's hoping that the rest of the hunt goes well and you might get yourself a nice bull there. Now, Thanksgiving is coming up, so we're actually not going to talk bucks and bulls. We're going to talk turkey here, specifically how to cook it upright using Camp Chef products. And I was on your Facebook page and saw a nice little, I guess, kind of a TikTok video that cautions you about 
overcooking your turkey, and the main way that most people do it is by using that little thermometer that comes in that butter ball or store-bought turkey that all of us buy. Don't want to use that, do you? You know, personally, no. I think the biggest problem with cooking turkeys is overcooking and nobody wants a dry bird. Right. There's nothing worse than when you cut into that breast and it tastes like chalk. And so, yeah, you're right. Um, a lot of times that thermometer doesn't pop until 180 degrees and your turkey's done at 165. So I think you want to discard that, use a good meat thermometer or the meat probes out of a pellet grill and monitor the temp that way. Pull it at maybe 160 and 163 and then let it rest for, oh, a half hour or so and it'll finish coming to temp at that 165. That way you're going to get the most moist turkey that you've probably ever had. Speaking of moist turkey, you have a, a little device that I have used in the past that works like a champ, the turkey cannon. Why don't you tell our listeners what this is all about? Yeah, the turkey cannon's a fantastic device to use to cook a turkey. We call it an infusion roaster as well because it's cooking from the inside out. You're putting a liquid, and that could be any type of like apple cider or juice or even water, and then that goes into the turkey cavity and then the turkey rests on it, and while it's cooking, it's steaming it from the inside out. So it's helping cook the turkey faster, but it's also adding moisture, which is going to make that turkey that much more moist. Another way to do that is by spatchcocking. So if you don't have a turkey cannon, you can always cut the backbone out, lay that turkey flat down on a pellet grill, and spatchcock it, and it's going to cook from the inside up a little better as well. Speaking of cooking a turkey on a pellet grill, let's talk about smoked turkey. I haven't had smoked turkey in years, but it sure sounds delicious. You know what? The glory or the benefit of a pellet grill is you can cook a turkey a variety of ways. And if you want to smoke it, I suggest you brine it and then you do it low and slow at like 170 degrees and let it go for four to six hours. And once it hits temp, you're going to pull it. My favorite way to do a turkey on a pellet grill, which you're still getting a smoky flavor, but it's not a real strong, deep smoke flavor, I would go at about 350 degrees and about an 18 to 20 pound bird's going to be done, I would say in about two, two and a half hours. So you're doing it a little higher temp. You're still using wood as your fuel source. So you're getting a nice, good flavor and it's cooking a little faster. It's more like baking it with wood. Interesting and sounds delicious as well. Let's talk about wild turkey, much more lean than those store-bought turkeys that most of us are buying. And that tells me it's a lot easier to make that a very dry and unedible turkey too. Uh, What tips do you have for cooking wild turkey? Well, your domestic turkeys, you can do them whole, and I think you can get away with it. With a wild turkey you mentioned, it's going to be dry, and it's going to be a lot more lean, and it can tend to dry out a lot faster. So I would break it in parts and pieces. That's the type of Thanksgiving turkey that you're going to cook separate. You're not going to do a whole bird. Now, you can. You've just got to be really careful, and you've got to inject a lot. But my preference would be I'm going to pull the breasts off, and I'm going to cook those a little different. I'm going to pull the legs and thighs off, and I'm going to braise them and maybe make a stew and a gravy and use that for a Thanksgiving if I'm using a wild turkey. So my tip for wild turkeys is let's break them down, legs, thighs, Cook them separate in a more braising, low and slow method. And then you can do the breasts in a variety of ways, whether it's hot and fast or grilled or whatever way you want to. You know, Brooks, I would love to have some sort of giveaway where we basically raffle you off. You go to somebody's house and prepare a Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner because I have no doubt it would be absolutely spectacular. I know we can't do that, but I sure love the thought. Well, it might be disappointed. Maybe I'm just all talk. Who knows? 
I don't think anyone would be disappointed. Every time I talk to you, I walk away hungry. Last but not least, is Camp Chef going to have any great sales for the holidays? You keep an eye out on uh, our website for some Black Friday deals. I think you'll see some good options there, especially if you're wanting to get into pellet grilling. All right. The website to go to, folks, is CampChef.com. That's a website for Camp Chef. They make great pellet grills and smokers and outdoor ovens and just about anything else you want for cooking in the backcountry or cooking on the back patio and having some delicious meals. They've also got tons of recipes there, too. The website, again, CampChef.com. And, Brooks, we're going to have you on in a week or two and talk about a pellet grill we'll be giving away as part of our Christmas awesome. giveaway show. Looking forward to it, John. Thanks so much. Happy Thank- Thanksgiving. Happy and Thanksgiving expect- to you and good luck in Montana. I expect zero dry birds this year, John. <laughs> Love it. Today's news, I'm cooking a brisket. Let's go to Jill at my house to see how it's going. This is your house and you brought me and the crew to check on your brisket? That's correct, Jill. How's it looking? This is a Camp Chef Woodwind Wi-Fi. You know you you can check your cook right from your phone, right? I didn't know that was an option, Jill. Well, never mind. But before you leave, can you feed the dog? What? No, no. When we get back, why is my check engine light on? The answer may shock me. We've been telling you about Sportsman's Cove Lodge in Southeast Alaska for a while now, and there's a reason. They are the only Alaska Lodge we talk about in this show. It's because they're truly Alaska's best lodge. The adventure starts with a float plane ride from Ketchikan, after which you'll get the chance to experience some of the best hospitality, food, and wonderful people you'll ever meet. Wildlife is abundant, from bears and deer to eagles and whales, and let's not forget the reason you're here, the fishing. Halibut, salmon, lingcod, rockfish, true cod, and more. It's all waiting for you in abundance at Sportsman's Cove Lodge. Book your trip today at alaskasbestlodge.com. That's alaskasbestlodge.com for Sportsman's Cove Lodge. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nationwide nonprofit organization dedicated to providing hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under who suffer from life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. These adventures make big differences in the lives of those who participate in them, and in many cases are literally a dream come true that brings hope and therapy to their lives. Find out more, get involved, or donate today at huntofalifetime.org. That's huntofalifetime.org. Huntofalifetime.org. From a bull elk ripping a bugle across the valley, to wing beats on a duck marsh. Public lands and waters are integral to our outdoor heritage. Become a member of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers and stand up for our public lands and waters. Visit backcountryhunters.org today. Hunting and fishing are exercises in hope. Before you head into the woods, you hope to tag out on a deer you'll have to field dress. Before you make that first cast, you hope for a big fish to clean and fillet. When your hopes are realized, you'll need a sharp knife. Whether you sharpen that blade on a power sharpener in the shop or a manual sharpener in the field, WorkSharp has the tool for you. 
Look for WorkSharp products in sporting goods stores near you or online at WorkSharpTools.com. Next up on America Outdoors Radio, you can call this segment a day late and a dollar short. Trout Unlimited was offering complimentary one-year trial TU memberships to veterans on Veterans Day. So I reached out to Mark Taylor. He's the Eastern Communications Director for this organization to find out more about this. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, John. And I, I think you also ought to point out that we are longtime friends. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. We know each other through the Outdoor Writers Association of America, and it's always good to bump into you. I look forward to doing that sooner or later. But getting back to this Veterans Day offer, are these complimentary one-year memberships only valid for Veterans Day? John, this offer was a Veterans Day only offer, and it was for veterans and first responders. But I would like to point out that we offer the same benefit for any veteran first responder, active duty military who participates in one of our thousand plus events annually that we uh, hold and host through what we call our service partnership. That's one of Trout Unlimited's programs and, and it specifically is designed to connect with vets, with active duty military, with first responders, get them in front of fly tying benches and vices and on the water with volunteers and it's a, obviously it's a therapy program, but it's also about fellowship too, of course. Oh, absolutely. And I understand you have over 200 TU chapters that actually participate in this program. And I also understand that this is not a cookie cutter model, that it's not like, okay, every Thursday we're going to do fly tying. Each chapter has their own different spin on how this works for their veterans and first responders. Is that right? That's exactly right. We do offer a guide on TU.org for chapters who want to hold events. So we just kind of give them a little bit of a template for what they can do. And of course, we show examples of successful events around the country. But really, yes, it's up to the chapters and the leadership there and partners with whom they work to kind of decide what works best for them. My local chapter here in Roanoke, Virginia, we partner with Project Healing Waters, which is one of our primary partners in this arena, and we host monthly fly tying events over by the VA hospital. And we also do some fishing trips, uh, mostly day trips, but every once in a while we'll do an overnight trip with groups of vets or, you know, participants in the program. But yeah, it's really one of those things that we let the, we kind of just point the chapter leaders in the right direction and let them do what they think works best in their community. Not only that, you actually partner with other organizations. You hinted at this with Project Healing Waters, but you've partnered with Friends of the Upper Delaware River, partnered with TAPS, the Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors, and the National Parks Trust to host several fishing retreats and events. Tell our listeners more about this. Yeah, again, this is sort of one of those things where our volunteer operations department is, that's the umbrella over which the service partnership falls. And they, you know, they have connections with these different organizations throughout the country. But again, more importantly, it's really our local chapters who they, they run in the same circles. And it just sort of, you know, Bob from the Richmond chapter might know someone who works at TAPS. 
And so they come together and they, they pull it together themselves and, and plan these events. That's one great thing about it. Again, it's not a, like you said, a turnkey plug and play thing. It's very flexible. And we have literally dozens of partners who, who work with us on, on these events. The ones you mentioned are some of the key ones. And, and Project Healing Waters, of course, is the big national organization. And it's really easy for folks to sort of figure out if there are events in their areas because they can go to either their website, which is simply healingwaters.org, go to tu.org slash chapters, find their local chapter and reach out and find out what's happening in their neck of the woods. Again, it's flexible and it can be small, it can be big, it can be weekly, monthly, uh, biannually. We, we just like reaching out to these folks, giving them the opportunity to uh, participate to therapeutic activities or fellowship. And I actually talked to a veteran the other night at a fly tying event and something she said really stuck with me, which is, I was, she said, I'm so glad to be here. I didn't know that there were other women involved and these are my people. And it, it, you know, that's the kind of thing we're, we're working uh, toward. One thing that we've found is a lot of people who come to these events end up becoming mentors and volunteers themselves. And sometimes they volunteer with veterans or first responder specific events. Sometimes they just become active Trout Unlimited volunteers and, and chapter leaders. And that's really what we want to encourage. We want folks to, to not feel left out. We want them to be participating in the conservation world and fishing just like the rest of us do. Well, if you are a first responder or if you're a veteran, check out the Trout Unlimited Service Partnership and look for an event near you. And getting back beyond veterans and first responders, let's talk about the benefits of a Trout Unlimited membership. You know, what is it, $35 now when you get quarterly magazine and membership in a local chapter? Yeah, that's exactly right. It's the annual membership is thirty five bucks. We also offer life memberships, which are about fifteen hundred, I think. And that usually we offer a really nice fly rod combo, typically with those. So it's kind of one of those you get two birds in in hand, I guess, or a bigger bang for the buck. But yes, you're right. We get we have more than four hundred chapters around the country, and they have meetings, regular meetings. In a lot of times, there are programs offered on conservation programs or projects that are underway. A lot of it is fishing-centric. A lot of a lot of folks come to Trout Unlimited because they want to meet more anglers and find out, you know, places to fish or techniques or whatever. But then they find out that there's sort of this greater good that we work toward, which is the, the conservation element and uh, working on restoring streams and protecting streams through advocacy. So there is that, of course, the magazine. But I think uh, as much as anything, a lot of what brings people to Trout Unlimited is the same thing that brings people to work as uh, in the military or as a first responder. It, it is a, a greater calling. You know, we, we want to help. We want to do good. And I was a military person, and that was what kind of drew me to the military, was the, the sense of patriotism and doing good for my country. And what draws people to Trout Unlimited is the sense of dedication to the environment and, and these natural resources that are basically under constant threat. Very well said. We are out of time, but folks, if you want to find out more about joining Trout Unlimited, the premier cold water fisheries conservation organization, go to their website, tu.org, and check out the TU Service Partnership link, too. And whether you're a veteran or not, or a first responder or not, this is an organization you really should roll up your sleeves and get involved with, get involved in a local chapter, and make some good happen. 
for our trout all over North America. Mark, thanks for sharing this with us today on America Outdoors Radio. I really appreciate you having me here on the show today, John. Thank you. In other Veterans Day related news, did you know that our friends at Henry Repeating Arms have donated over $325,000 to military veterans organizations this year. It's true. This company goes all out to support our military, and they do so through their Guns for Great Causes program. So far this year, they've donated to the Disabled American Veterans, Building Homes for Heroes, National Veterans Foundation, Tunnels to Towers, the Veterans of Foreign Wars, the American Legion, and the Shadow Warriors Project. And these donations really make a difference. In the words of Anthony Imperato, the president and CEO of Henry Repeating Arms, no matter how much we give back to these men and women and the organizations that support them, it will never be enough. It's a debt that cannot be repaid. That may well be true, but I know I certainly appreciate the fact that I am partnered with a company that does support our veterans. And if you want to support a company that supports our veterans too, go to henryusa.com, check out the lineup of firearms they have all made right here in the USA and look for an authorized dealer near you. The website again, henryusa.com. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nationwide nonprofit organization dedicated to providing hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under who suffer from life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. These adventures make big differences in the lives of those who participate in them, and in many cases are literally a dream come true that brings hope and therapy to their lives. Find out more, get involved, or donate today at huntofalifetime.org. That's huntofalifetime.org. Huntofalifetime.org. From a bull elk ripping a bugle across the valley, to wing beats on a duck marsh. Public lands and waters are integral to our outdoor heritage. Become a member of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers and stand up for our public lands and waters. Visit backcountryhunters.org today. Welcome back to America Outdoors Radio. I'm John Cruz. I don't know about you, but for me, the holiday season is probably the toughest time I have when it comes to catching bass. That's why I reached out to Glenn May. He is the man behind BassResource.com. And if you go to this website, you're going to find all sorts of information. There's forums, there's articles, there's videos, all designed to help you be a better bass angler. Glenn, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, let's talk a little bit about catching bass this time of year. I live in Washington State, and I struggle. I mean, struggle mightily to find them, let alone catch them. Where are the bass going in late November and in December? Yeah, well, welcome to the crowd. We all struggle with that. Wintertime fishing is definitely different than in the summer, and that's because of these cooler temperatures. They do two things with bass. Number one, the bass, the metabolism is dictated by the water temperature. And so the warmer the water is, the higher the metabolism is versus when it's really cold. So in the wintertime, they may only eat, say, every seven to 10 days, whereas in the summertime, they may be eating seven to 10 times a day. So when you go out in the wintertime and during the holidays, there's just less bass that are interested in your lures to begin with. So you're going to get less bites just by virtue of that. Understand that, first of all. And the second piece of it is uh, with the cooler water temperatures, it slows down the forage. 
the bait fish, the crawdads, sculpin, and all, you know, the shad, they slow down. Uh, in areas down the south, when we don't have shad up here in Washington State, but down the south part of the U.S., they have shad. And there's certain species of shad that when the water temps get below 45 degrees, they start to die. Oh, wow. And so what they do is, I mean, the shad just want to conserve energy. They don't even want to move. So you see this real slow down. And what you need to do during this time of year is slow your presentations down to match the forage base that the bass are feeding on. So you have this combination of less bites, less frequent, and less bass that are feeding, and you have to go really slow. So it's an arduous task sometimes to find where they are. I've always imagined and I think I may have even heard this, that during the winter, the bass go deep. Is that true, or can you still find them along riprap and in the shallows? Oh, that's a great question. So as a general rule, they're deeper, and that's because the water is a little more stable temperature-wise and typically a bit warmer in deeper areas, and that's where the forage is going to go to stay alive, you know, and, and, and they stay warm. So the bass are going to follow the forage. So the general rule, deeper than 15 feet, typically is where they're at. However, you do get spats where they do come up shallow. So for example, if we have several days of warmer weather, a warming trend, and if it's combined with rain, that's even better because warm rain will warm the surface temperature faster than anything else. Uh, when that happens, well, the forage is going to seek out the warmer temps and they're going to move up into those areas and the bass will follow them. So you, you look for those weather trends and you can take advantage of those scenarios. Another one also is if you fish where there's a, a drawdown reservoir that they draw water down during the wintertime, that's going to expose the crawdads that have buried up in the mud. Right. And so they're going to come out of those hiding places and come in, in, in back into the water. And bass know that. And so they're going to move up shallow during those periods. So watch for those winter drawdowns and you can take advantage of shallow water fishing during the winter. Very interesting. You just taught me another new trick. I love talking to you, Glenn. Let's talk <laughs> about presentations and lures and trying to catch them. And I guess we'll break this down into north versus south. So in the, the northern tier what are a few things that you do to catch fish during the winter? Yeah, so in the northern, that's when you have really everything's at its slowest pace. So for that, your presentations, by and large, are going to be dragging your lure on the bottom of the lake. And I don't mean like hopping and lifting it up dragging and keeping it on the bottom and really, really slow. And with frequent pauses, and those pauses should have long durations in between. So those type of things I would like to do is say, for example, a jig. Just use a football jig and slowly crawl it, long pauses in between. A little trick we do in the Northwest is using a quarter ounce to a half ounce football jig with a just a white grub on it, like a five-inch white grub. Oh. Yeah. Because you're fishing deep. You know, you're fishing, in some areas we fish 45, 55 feet deep. But anytime you get below, say, 20 feet, the colors are basically shades of gray. So a bright white jig or a bright white grub will have a lighter shade of gray and will stand out more against that bottom. So you just crawl that along the bottom very slowly and you can get bit that way. So those are two baits I like to use during the wintertime for northern climates. Also hair jigs. Again, you can crawl that on the bottom really slow, but also what is prevalent, especially like right now and when it gets the water gets cold, the perch will ball up and they'll start dying off and the bass sit up underneath those balls of perch picking off dying perch. So what you do is you take a hair jig and you can punch it down through that ball of bait fish and you can get to the bass below and get bit that way. 
Okay, now the catch is that perch like you know, hair jigs also. So you need a pretty heavy jig to punch through without getting bit by a perch. So like a half ounce jig will work really well, but it can be very productive. You get some really big bass doing that. And also one other thing to do is is using drop shots and split shots, like with a four inch finesse worm, um, way down the bottom, very slow presentation again. Um, that can be very, very effective during the cold water months. All right, let's head south. What are you going to be doing different there since the water's a little bit warmer? Yeah, south, you can get a little more active baits, and also the bass tend to suspend more often down south. So we'll talk about those two situations. One is you can use everything I just talked about down south, but you can add to that arsenal. You can add baits that move a little bit more. So, for example, I would use a a crankbait, deeper diving crankbaits. Uh, the deep dive down deeper than 10 feet. You want a suspending one because you want to frequent pauses and let that bait just hang there. Very slow presentation again. So don't crank it as fast as you would in the summertime, but a nice slow steady retrieve works really well. Blade baits like cicadas and little Georges, you cast those a million dollar mile and you can cover really deep structure with those mm-hmm. like humps and channel creeks when they bend in closer to deeper uh, shoreline. Those work really well just to slowly crank that over those areas. And then you can use like a spoon. A jigging spoon. Now, a jigging spoon works really well, you know, this time of year because it mimics a dying bait fish, which is exactly what the bass are keen on during this time of year. So jigging spoons work really well during this time of year. Now, two other things. Well, actually three. One is a suspending jerkbait, which, yep, cast that out. Now, don't work it fast like you do in the summertime. Here you get it down deep and you give it a, a subtle twitch and let it suspend and sit for a long period of time. Just It's going to really test your patience. But here you're mimicking one of those dying bait fish, one that's struggling. So that works really well down in the south, especially when the water temps get down around that, you know, in those 40s. That's when those bait fish start acting that way. Another bait that works extremely well down south is an underspin. Just put on a little paddle tail, like a three-inch little paddle tail bait on it so it looks like a little bait fish and just slowly crawl that along every once in a while let it bounce off the bottom but a nice slow steady to retrieve nothing special you're not giving it yanks jerks pauses or popping just a steady slow retrieve can you'd be surprised how well that can work and then lastly we're talking about the suspending fish yeah the spoon can work very well if you go back to that spoon drop it down to where the fish are suspending and just hold it there don't move it or anything just let it hold that spoon will slowly spin i use like a ball bearing snap on it so it just slowly moves and that oftentimes elicits a bite but one other little trick this is we you west coasters we've been doing this for a while <laughs> a drop shot using a four inch finesse worm that's kind of a pink shade drop that down use your electronics you got to do this on the spinning gear You look down, you'll see them like in 20 feet of water. So you can drop it down quickly to that group of suspending bass. You can pop that bail back up and you watch with your electronics and just hold it there. So you're actually using a drop shot. You're going to be over 40, 50 feet of water, but it's only in 20 that you're holding. Just hold it there. You might jig it just a little bit with your rod tip, but oftentimes just holding it there is all you need. That little finesse worm is going to move around just enough to get their attention and often that elicits a bite. I'll tell you what, Glenn, you might actually help me catch some fish with all of this great advice. (laughs) Folks, if you want to find out more about catching bass in the winter or any other time of year, go to BassResource.com. Again, chock full of information, whether you want to interact on the forum, whether you want to read the articles or check out the videos, it's all there for you and it doesn't cost a thing either. The website again, BassResource.com. Glenn, thanks for sharing all this great information with us today on America Outdoors Radio. No problem. Thanks for having me.
Do you love to fish? Do you love to eat fish? Well, if you do, you know how important it is to have something to keep things sharp. Now in the boat, it might be something to keep your hook sharp, like maybe the pocket knife sharpener from WorkSharp, which also works just fine along with the guided field sharpener for keeping fillet knives sharp. So when it comes to cleaning those fish you catch for the day, you can get that done in a hurry. And let's not forget back at the house when you're preparing those fish for a meal. That's when you want to have a kitchen knife sharpener, and there's several electric ones available. You can find them all at WorkSharpTools.com, which lists all sorts of both manual and electric sharpeners you can use in the kitchen, in the shop, or in the field. Sharp hooks and sharp knives make for a happy day on the water, so get your sharpener today at WorkSharpTools.com or look for these products at quality sporting goods stores and hardware stores near you. Why book at Sportsman's Cove Lodge? Why is Alaska like no other place on earth? It hasn't changed in thousands of years. From the way you get here on a float plane to the way you go out with the guides and the boats, it's just a professional experience. And I said, this is as good as it gets. I said, if you can't catch fish here, you can't catch fish anywhere. Your experience with us will leave you speechless. Book now at alaskasbestlodge.com. Come explore the Dalles in Oregon for outdoors fun. Hike amongst the wildflowers, bike our riverfront trail, or visit the Gorge Discovery Center where you can enjoy a live raptor display. Or even check out our National Neon Sign Museum. But don't forget the fishing. We've got salmon, steelhead, bass, walleye, and monster-sized sturgeon waiting just for you. When the day is done, tell those tall tales at one of our wineries, breweries, or restaurants and plan your next adventure. Find out more at explorethedalles.com. Ready to step up to a quality-built rifle or shotgun that's a true classic? Check out Henry Repeating Arms, American-made. There's over 200 models to choose from in a variety of finishes and calibers for hunters and target shooters. Many of these are lever-action models with a look right out of the Old West. Don't be deceived, though. Henry Repeating Arms are modern, rugged, accurate, reliable, and have a lifetime guarantee. Find out more and order a free catalog today at HenryUSA.com. That's HenryUSA.com. Next up on America Outdoors Radio, we are taking you to Northern California, the Bay Area, as a matter of fact. We have the opportunity to talk to Rue Mapp. She's the founder of an organization called Outdoor Afro. She's also got a brand new book, Nature Swagger, that just dropped on Amazon and into bookstores around the nation. And we're going to talk about the topic of getting more black people into nature to enjoy everything that nature has to offer. Rue, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So, Rue, you originally lived in Oakland. You live in the Bay Area now. Back in 2009, you came up with this idea of outdoor Afro. What inspired you? What is it all about? Well, you know, I just looked around and saw that I just didn't see enough people who were getting into the outdoors, represented in the popular magazines, the glossy magazines of the day. Being in the outdoors is strong, beautiful, and free. And, you know, I had a background that was so incredible. My father was a true outdoorsman, and we had a hobby farm up in Northern California in Lake County. So I was raised 
with hunting and fishing and exploration of the local creek. And we often hosted like tons of people at our house from East Oakland and Richmond and our church. And so I had this front row seat to hospitality. And my dad had this famous saying, and that was, you have a standing invitation in nature. And so I sat down at my kitchen table in 2009 to really talk about that standing invitation that we all have in nature. And what I found really quickly was that there were people who had a love and connection with the outdoors, but their stories weren't being told. And so Outdoor Afro initially became a platform to tell a new narrative about what it meant to be connected to nature in many different ways. And It's since grown into a national not-for-profit organization. We now are in 30 states. We have north of 50 cities. And our participation network is 60,000 people who get out and hike and bike and camp. And we train volunteer leaders who are getting people out right in their own backyard. And the stories we hear about connections that may have been severed because people have relocated are, you know, really easily established again through our programming. And it's just been fantastic to see how many people have come online and said what they're already doing and are making commitments to do new things. Let me ask you a question, Rue, and that has to do with participation in the outdoors, activities like hiking and fishing. I live on the east slope of the Cascade Mountains in Washington State, do a lot of hiking in the Cascades, and I see a lot of people from the Seattle area in the Cascades. And obviously there's a lot of black people that live in the Seattle area, but I very seldom see black hikers. I see Hispanic hikers, I see people of Indian descent, and lots of white people but I don't see a lot of of black people. And when it comes to fishing, again, lots of Hispanic people, especially in the the rural areas I fish and the rural areas they live in, and hunting, almost never see anybody. Is this a matter of just urbanization and they just don't have that connection to nature? Is this a lack of mentorship like you and I had growing up? What are some of the barriers that are keeping black people from getting into the outdoors? Well, I definitely think that you're onto something about proximity to opportunities, about mentorship. I had to re-enter hunting as an adult after, unfortunately, my father passed away and the uncles who were the ones leading the charge in that particular activity. It took a lot of effort to find a mentor, to learn everything that I needed to learn. But what I also will offer is that people are still getting out. And so when people tell me, hey, I'm not seeing black people out recreating in nature, my response is that you're not looking in the right places. And when you look at where people live, the concentration of where you see the population of black people, they're actually getting out close to home. And I think a lot about busy working families and remote opportunities to get into the outdoors. The biggest barrier is time. If you work Monday through Friday, maybe on a weekend, you don't have leisure time that will allow you to drive three hours in one direction to go to a destination, it's not going to be as appealing as maybe having a cookout in your local park near where you live. And so I look at a place like Oakland, California, where there's a huge population paired with a really great opportunity to get out in nature in a place like Lake Merritt, the oldest wildlife sanctuary in the country, or in the hills where there are redwoods. So 
when you look at where people live, especially in the South, you absolutely see a higher number of people who are hunting, angling, because often those opportunities are just practically close to home. And so I invite people to get out of the places where you normally go and maybe to the population centers. And you'll actually see a lot more participation and participation that includes things that you might not consider are that important in outdoor activities like walking your dog or strolling a lake or a local trail or gardening on your patio. I mean, people are connecting in nature in so many different ways. And Outdoor Afro is here to include all of those ways that people connect with nature that make sense in their day-to-day lives. So explain to me a little bit more about how Outdoor Afro does outreach to get people that have not experienced maybe, you know, time on the water in a canoe or time hiking a trail or camping out or maybe fishing. You know, how do you actually do that? Are you drawing people to your website, to your social media who may be interested? Or are you actually reaching out and finding people and saying, hey, come join us. Let's go do this activity. Yeah, it's a little bit of everything. We were born in social media back in 2009. So alongside that blog was also a Facebook page and a way for us to have that compelling invitation. And there's just something so wonderful about seeing people who look like you that it's like, oh my gosh, here's someone who looks like I do, and they're having a good time, and I can try it too. And that's why the visual representation is so important, because if you don't see it, you won't believe it. And I love affinity groups because I credit the Girl Scouts. When I was a little girl, even though my parents were outdoor-loving people, they weren't hikers or campers. They didn't buy the equipment at the outdoor retailer. I learned those things through the Girl Scouts, which was a community of young girls where we got to try out leadership, take risks, and feel safe in this group of people who had something really important in common to us. And so it's always, I think, great for folks to have groups of people, whether it's through your church or your workplace or any, you know, of the ways that you feel comfortable. Like when I became a new mom, I joined a new mom's group in the Bay Area because I knew I was going to get relevant information about resources and feel comfortable in that space. And so Outdoor Afro is really a compelling invitation. It's the hospitality that I learned from my father, that standing invitation. And I think of ourselves as like a patch in a quilt that's so specific but it's stitched together with many other patches to make altogether a story of connection and ultimately everyone's connection to the outdoors. Rue, we only have a minute left. Please tell folks about your new book, Nature Swagger. Nature Swagger is a book with 30 contributors divided into sections that I've introduced that talk about my family's life, growing up in nature, all the things I've learned about myself, and growing my organization. And it's got a wide range of experiences told through essays and beautiful photography of people from all over the United States who are finding their nature swagger, their confidence, their connection through everyday connections to nature in their lives that I hope will be that way of yet again inviting more people into the conversation and the welcoming that we want everyone to feel as it relates to the outdoors and everything that you can do 
in the outdoors. The more people that are in the outdoors, the better as far as I'm concerned, because number one, we all become stewards of the outdoors when we get to enjoy nature. And number two, it's just good for the soul. And folks, if you want to find out more about Outdoor Afro, go to their website, OutdoorAfro.org. Find out ways you can support this organization. And if you want to check out Nature Swagger, Rue Map's brand new book, you'll find it at bookstores and you'll also find it at Amazon.com. Rue, thanks for sharing all of this with us today on America Outdoors Radio. Thank you so much for having me. Before we wrap things up today, I'd like to welcome some new listeners tuning in to our show on KLIN AM 1400 out of Lincoln, Nebraska, and on WJAG AM 780 out of Norfolk, Nebraska. We really appreciate you coming on board, and I'm happy to announce we are now airing on over 130 stations in 32 states here in our great United States of America. Until next time, here's wishing you a happy Thanksgiving, hoping you get to spend it with family and friends, and hoping that you get to spend some time in nature, too. After all, it is your country and you're outdoors, so get out there and enjoy it. (laughs) 